0: Lord, we just come before you and ask you to lead and guide as we look at your word. We ask your spirit to help us understand what it is that we're looking at as we read this book of James, and that you will guide all all our discussion. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. James chapter 2, verse 14 is where we left off. What does it profit, my brethren, if a man say he have faith, and have not works. Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, and go and be warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what does it profit? Even so, faith, if it has not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. So We'll stop there because there's a good bit here. Uh, James is going on, he starts out with, what does it profit if a man say he has faith and does not works? Can faith save him? And this is a question and this is, these are the parts that Luther rejected this book for. All right, Because he found you, you know, for by grace are you saved not of works lest any man should boast and he found you are saved by faith over and over again and he said that the book of James is a sham because it emphasizes works so much and James would say that just because you say you have faith doesn't mean that you have faith and so this is what we want to be looking at because he says here what does it profit though a man say he has faith without works. And this is something we look at. And we're hearing a lot of that in this day and age ourselves. Uh, we're hearing people of faith. And I I heard a message on that and I agree with the pastor. I heard it. I hate that term. I always have hated that term. Because we are not just people of faith. We have to have faith in Christ. Not just I have faith. Well what do I have faith in? I have faith that I'm living I have faith that I'm in a building that can withstand a storm. What do I have faith in is very important. And we see these people usually when they say, they use this term, people of faith, they're grouping everybody in who believes in any God. Okay, it's not just Christians that they group into this, into this uh, category. And so here is that same type of mentality. If you say you have faith, what is it you have faith in? If I have faith in Christ and he is living in me, he is going to work out of me and works will be produced. Otherwise, it's pretty dead faith. It doesn't mean anything. And this is what James is saying by all of this, is if you have a true faith in Christ, works will be produced. And this I've said over and over, when Christ fills us, he crucifies our flesh and he works out of us and people see our changed life. They see our love grow. They see our patience grow. And this is important because that is the proof of what I have faith in. And that is what he's going on. It says, if you have, if you just say you have faith, can say faith save you? And this is, our confession has to match what it is we're, we're saying we believe in. And this is what I've shared with us over and over. When we say we believe something, God is going to send us trials and tests that will say, do you truly believe what you believe? The tagline from the Truth Project, do you believe that what you believe is true is really real? And that's what God will always test. If I say that God is love and he dwells in me, I should love people as he loves loves people the more I learn to love people, God will keep testing me by putting more and more people in my life that are harder and harder to love. Because He wants to be the one that expresses. And you know what? Usually when He gives us that next hard person, we usually fail the first couple times we deal with them. Because we're learning how to love them the way God loves them. When when He's trying to teach us patience, He will give us some wonderfully troubling times to see, are we going to be patient? And once you pass one test, he'll give you the next harder test to try your patience. And then, but this is true of everything that he's going to teach us. He's gonna say, I want to see, is your faith real? Is it something that lives and is correct? Because faith is the conviction that something is true. Okay, It is not just I have this nebulous idea of, of faith. It's the conviction that something is true. And the example I like to use are chairs. Okay? Especially when you're as big as I am, there are certain chairs that I will not sit in because they have proved to be not worthy of my faith. Specifically, ones that come with caterers, those little flimsy chairs that are that are about six ounces, and if you put anything of weight on them, they collapse. I don't sit in those chairs because they, they can tell me that they've been reinforced, they can tell me that all these things about it, and I'm going to look at it and say it looks exactly like the chairs that have collapsed under me, I will not sit in it. However, on these nice chairs that we have here, I'm willing to sit in these chairs because I've sat in them, they support me, they, they haven't broken, and I trust them with Great conviction because they have proved their worth. Faith. There's faith in them. That's what faith is. If I have faith in God and it's real faith in God, I'm going to put all my trust in Him and follow Him and do what He says, which then will produce the works that are His works and not mine. And here He's saying, you can say you have it, but if that's if all you're doing is speaking it, it's not enough. And this is what Jesus said. He said, many in that day will say, Lord, Lord, didn't I? And you look at that list, you know, visit the poor, feed the sick, you know, clothe the naked. They did even some works in their own strength, and God's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. They did not have the faith in the right place. And this is what he's saying here. What is your faith? What is it in? And many people that are going to be rejected by Jesus, their faith was in their works. God, I did all these good things. It should have been enough. And Jesus said, no, you didn't know me. And then I produced those works out of you. And this is why, what is our faith in is important. And this is one of the things that I keep going after people. I'll go, well, you know, and the government loves the term people of faith because it's a way for them to lump the religious religious people all together into one big group and, and, and send them money. You know, this was a term that the, the first Bush was very popular on. You were gonna help people of faith as they minister, we're gonna give them money to help minister to the poor and the needy and all these other people. And he was trying to get the faith-based community involved. If you remember those terms from, from 15, 20 years ago, <laughs> There was all these terms out there were very nebulous. He wouldn't say churches and religious or Christians. He had to say faith, people of faith because he didn't want to be having accusations of establishing church. So, and it started with him and it just kept snowballing. And now we've got this whole idea of faith. And faith in what? And this is what James is saying. He says, if any brother is naked, or destitute. And that naked can be anywhere from totally naked to just ill-clothed uh, type idea. Somebody who's just shabbily clothed uh, to nothing or destitute, wanting. And you just come by and say, be filled, be, be warm. That's not showing the love of God to the individual. And that's what he's saying. If you really truly have the love of God and you are in, the, in Him, you're gonna care for the individuals and the hard part is we can't care for every single person but we need to care for as many as we can and help it, whoever we can and be able to say this is God's love we're going to show you God's love that's why we have the food bank that we have so that we can help people as even though it's a little thing that we can do we help them bigger churches will have clothes closets and and much needed supplies that they can supply. And so how do we help people? We can't help them with every need that they have because none of us are that rich. If we had the money, we could help more people, and I would love to see us have some kind of house, you know, that we have for people who need shelter for a couple of days or something and put them give them the gospel. We can't afford that at this moment. If the God wants to make that happen, he'll make it happen. It's a vision that I have, but I don't know if we'll ever see something like that. I'd love to do it, but we'll see what God has in store for us. We'd love to be able to do transportation back and forth to Kingman so people could get to things without being charged the fortune that they get charged around here to by people who have cars to take them back and forth to Kingman. And all these little things are kind of visions that I'd love to see someday. And if God provides the money and the transportation or the building or whatever it is that God will provide, we'll take advantage of whatever he gives us. But until then, we're going to be faithful with what little things we have. We'll do the food bank. We'll help, we'll help just clothe the people that we can clothe. We'll help them in whatever ways we can. And this is what he's saying. Are you willing to help? And it says, are you being profitable if you just tell them to be... Go your way. You know, be, you're not, you're, just because I say you're not hungry, you're, you're, you're not going to be hungry. It <laughs> doesn't work that way, and all of us know that that is, is true. Uh, he says in verse 17, Even so, faith, if it has not works, is dead. And this dead literally means to be desolate or destitute of force or power. If you just say you have faith and you do not works, then he's saying your faith is dead. It has no power. It has no evidence. And later on he's going to show it has no evidence that it is true. And he's not saying it isn't true. And this is one thing we've got to gather. He doesn't say that it isn't true. He just says you won't, you'll have a hard time proving it. If you have faith and it doesn't come out, how do you prove that you have faith? It's very hard to prove that you have faith if there's no outward expression of it. And he says, as we get into here, we're going to see that. He goes, yea, in verse 18, if any man say, and again, there's that word, if any say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works and this show says to show evidence to produce evidence so basically he's saying show me that you have faith without your works somehow prove it to me and it would be very difficult to prove that you have faith in God and God is changing you without something coming out and this is very important on this because that truth, that faith without works is dead. It's without It's without force. And it would be very hard to give the evidence that you are a believer, that you are having faith in God. Now, he's not saying, because this is true, and we've said this over and over again, if we don't have faith, we're not going to do something. It's just plain common sense. If I look at a car and I look at a vehicle and it looks like a... It has no brakes. The, the the pieces are getting ready to fall off. The, the tires are, are bald. <laughs> Am I going to jump into that car and go racing down the highway? Not if I'm intelligent. Because <laughs> I'll look at that and say, bald tires. Mm-hmm. Not very smart. I see the metal sticking out of them. I'm not going to go running at high speed with the metal showing on the tires and look in there and see rust on the on the rotors and say, "Okay, it's obvious that the brakes haven't been used on this car. We use a little bit of common sense and faith, and we say, "No, that's not what I'm going to do. So where is our faith? What is it that we're going to have that faith in? And so when you say, "You have faith, show me it without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. I am going to show you that Christ dwells in me because I'm going to love you." I'm going to care for you, I'm going to minister to the best of my ability to help you. I'm going to be able to speak words of edification, speak kind words, and love individuals. And this is what I keep telling people, when we come across people that are hard to love and we want to complain about them, what we should be doing is praying for them. Because they need that prayer, they need the edification. They need to be built up. And then we're talking behind their back. We're just making more people not care for them instead of building them up. And this is, this is something that's very important for us. And if we catch ourselves complaining about people, we need to stop ourselves and say, no, we, gotta, we're, we're, we need to pray for them. I'm going to dwell on what's good. I'm going to dwell on what is pure. I'm going to be looking at them the way God looks at them. And that's through the eyes of grace. Because, you know, if anything goes on, all of us have areas in our life that can be criticized. All of us do. Maybe they're really big, maybe they're really small, but we all have the areas that need God's attention and can be criticized. But when we're criticizing people, it really is a statement of, somehow I think that I'm better than they are and not not in need of the trial. And then sometimes God has to just kind of whisper in our ear like... uh, you do know who you are right and that's where we we need to get to the place where we realize who we are before we start criticizing the person so that we will love them more and show God's love because all of us know how bad we are in in reality we know what we would what how we think and how we act and what we do wrong in in our private lives that, that not everybody knows And we need to really realize that just because somebody is up front in in the lost world, especially, and I've said this before, I don't expect the lost world to act like a Christian. Sometimes I forget, but usually I keep remembering, well, they're just lost. They're without Christ. They're, they're, They're running their mouth because they don't know any better. They're attacking people because they don't know any better. They're taking advantage of people because they don't know any better. Now, in essence, they do know better. They've got a conscience. They may have seared their conscience, but they do not have Christ in them to put the filters on their actions in their mouth. And we need to just step back and say, this poor prisoner in bondage and shackles needs God's prayer, needs to be loved. Because when we are... Without Christ, we are prisoners bound in chains that have no choice but to sin, because that's who we are. We as Christians have been had the chains broken, and sometimes we voluntarily allow ourselves to be chained back up for by these sins. But it's our choice to do that because we have a power and a victory in Christ that we don't have to be bound. You now it's almost like taking the prison, taking the prisoner. Out the out the front gate of the prison, and then them turning right back in and saying, "I'm going right back in. I don't like it out here." And I can tell you, we do that in our own lives. You know, we've been loosed from the chains of sin and bondage. And we run right back into the pr- dungeon. No prisoner I've seen or met in the prison will do that. The day they get to be released out that door, they're getting as far from the prison as fast as they can. Yet we run back into the prison of sin. God has delivered us and we will turn right back and run into the prison and say, "Uh, I kind of like being in here. (laughs) I kind of like, you know, I didn't like the bondage but I kind of liked it at the same time. But we've got to be so careful because Christ has delivered us. And we need to say, thank you, we're victorious and we have this. We talked about this the other day. We have the opportunity to live victorious lives because we are in Christ. We are in Christ and he will live the victorious life through us as long as we let him crucify our flesh. Our flesh is going to lead us into bondage. And here he's saying, our faith in Christ will produce the works because Christ works them out. And so we want to keep that in mind it's, uh, in, on this. It goes in in verse 19. He says, you believe that there is one God, you do well. The devils also believe and tremble. This is quite a statement. The devils believe that there is one God. Matter of fact, they know that there is one God because they've seen the one God. They're created beings, they've served before God, and they know that there is one God. But that is not going to lead them into salvation. Knowledge in and of itself is not enough to get saved. We have to truly believe a few things. Number one, that we're sinners. Number two, that we deserve punishment. And then number three, that Jesus paid the price for it and has given us a free gift. And the problem that many people that claim to be Christians are is that they go, well, I believe there's a Jesus. Wonderful. (laughs) Who's the Jesus you believe in? Is he the son of God? And this is some of the things that we see out there that people do not truly believe in who Jesus is. We've got... Groups that believe that Jesus is a God, he is the brother of Lucifer, that they're equal. No, he's not the brother of Lucifer, and he's not equal with any other created being, because he's not a created being. He is the Son of God, the second person in the Trinity. He is not a created being that's lower than God. And this is what other groups will say. Well, you know, he's just a good prophet, a good man, uh, whatever whatever the title they want to use. he He was very close to God. And this is, we've got to be careful because that's not who he said he was. He said he was God. Very clearly in multiple places. He said, before Abraham was, I am, and they got ready to stone him because they knew that he claimed to be God by that statement. He said, "I can. I, I'm doing this because I want you to know that the Son of Man has power to forgive sins." And they picked up stones to stone him because he knew they knew that that statement was that he claimed to be God because only God can forgive sins. There were many places where he very clearly stated to them that he was God, and they knew what he was saying. And so, the question is, what? do we believe about Him? Just because we believe there's a God does not go, is not saving us. Just because I believe there was a Jesus does not save me. Just believing that I'm a sinner doesn't save me. I've got to understand that I've got to go all parts of the steps. I deserve punishment and Jesus paid for the price and then I'm going to accept it because He is the Son of God who died for my sins and resurrected in victory for that sin. He's the... The sacrificed lamb, and then he was the first fruit of, of 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 salvation, and he was the victorious one, so that we can have victory in him, and we will suffer with him, just as he suffered, we will suffer, because he said before the world hated us, they hated him. We have the same process. Why does the world hate Jesus? Why does the world hate us when we bring Jesus into the situation? Is real simple. People like darkness, darkness keeps their sin hidden. We have Jesus Christ in us and we bring him into every situation we bring in, come into, we bring light. And light reveals their sin and convicts of sin. And most people don't want to be see their sin or be convicted of their sin. They're kind of hidden into a dark corner and ignore it. And we come along, even if we don't say a word, We bring God into the midst of their life. It would be if you're driving down a dark highway and all of a sudden a car comes at you with its high beams on, especially on a two-lane road, and you're blinded for that moment because you can't see anything but the light. Or uh, I remember one time we were out with the, the boys group and we were playing flashlight tag, or they were playing flashlight tag. And they weren't listening to me when I said it was time to come in. So I had my 10 million power candlelight uh, spotlight. (laughs) And I clicked it on them. And they all got blinded very quickly. (laughs) Because all of a sudden the entire field (laughs) was lit up. And I'm going, it's time to come back. (laughs) And the game ended very quickly as they were struggling to even be able to see. This is what happens when we bring God into the midst of these sins. Even if we say, don't say anything, we're bringing light into the situation. And then we speak.
1: <laughs> so there's actually billions of people out there that know that they're in darkness. They're, they're totally aware of this.
0: There are many that are, are aware, and, and God says they're aware anyway. We yeah. all have a conscience. So everybody knows that they have wronged. Uh, done wrong things. Now, they may have been so evil for so long that they have seared their conscience, and a conscience no longer bothers them. But at one point in time, they felt guilty for what they did. A thief, usually on the first time they go out and steal, feels guilty. But a thief who's been out there for you know many, many, many times starts justifying and and searing their conscience.
1: But there could be a point where they reach where it doesn't bother them Correct. about their situation and may even block it out.
0: They've blocked it out, they've seared it, and God says there is a point where there is there can be a point of no return as far as not that you can't be forgiven. But because you've gone so far you won't let yourself be forgiven because you have you know just blocked it out and we see people like this you see people who seem to always lie always lie. even I admit I have met certain people that they will lie to you even if there's no reason to lie Right. okay it's not like they're gonna get in trouble for it did you did you did you go out on the street yesterday No, no absolutely I did not go anywhere on the street I just wanted to know how you got home then. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, you know, but you understand what I'm saying. They get so used to the sin that they almost just have to commit the sin just because. And they will have their conscience seared. There was a time when they knew it was wrong to lie and they just get to the point where they just seem to not know. Now, deep down, they know that it is. And we see this even in people, say, a prostitute who knows that it's wrong and it's, it's dirty the first few times and they get so used to it, but deep down they know it's still wrong, even though they've seared their conscience enough to be able to say, "Well, oh, it's just part of who I am, but it's what I do. So
1: they experience this searing process, that original place where they started, where they knew, that's enough to convict
0: them. That's enough to convict. And then we bring God's presence in and God's spirit comes in and convicts them. Because we bring his spirit in and all of a sudden there's a light shining that they haven't, that they have shining in dark places. And then worse yet, maybe we open our mouth and talk about God.
1: Right, I guess there's still enough cases as they're seared that they get reminded by Christians that you know, uh, what they're doing is, is wrong.
0: And then they'll defend themselves, well you're judging me or quit you know, quit causing me problems in my life and and sometimes it's just the presence of God and I've seen that happen in many cases where just walking in you get the dirty look from somebody oh, yeah. not because you said anything but just because you have brought God into their darkness and all of a sudden conviction strikes
1: you're reminding them just by your presence.
0: well God's reminding them at that time because God is coming out and just shining a light on them and saying it's time for you to remember me it's time to remember that I'm good and you're not if Come to the me,, and
1: they all, even the worst of, them, uh, have no excuse.
0: No. And that's what God says. You are without without excuse, oh man, because we know that there's sin. Now we may try to justify it, and many do. but this is also the reason that scientists will tell us that they, you know the really smart scientists who are quote unquote the smart, that believe in evolution, or so they say, Many of them have gone on record saying, I know there's problems with evolution or some form of that, but I cannot accept that there's a God. Why can't they accept that there's a God? Because if there's a God, then they have to obey God's laws. If there's not a God, they can do whatever they feel like doing, even though they know it's wrong. And they know that it's wrong because they know there's a God, (laughs) even though they don't want to accept that there's a God, because if there's a God, he has rules and they have to be obedient to them. But if we're all just evolved animals, there are no rules. There, whatever I want to have for a rule is a rule. And this is why I've shared, you know, when I was in college, I met lots of people who quote unquote believed that there was no absolute truth. But it's not hard to prove to people that they don't believe that. They all believe that there's right and wrong. They just want to believe that everybody makes their own right and wrong, but there is right and wrong that overarches everything. Businesses are finding this out, that they have to teach people what right and wrong is because the business will cheat the customer and then they get upset when when their managers and their employees cheat the business. Okay, there's a double standard there. And then they go, well, don't they know right from wrong? Well, you're not doing a very good example as you're mistreating your, your customers. Why would they not mistreat you? And so there, people understand that there's right and wrong internally. We know right and wrong, and we always have known right and wrong. Uh, psychologists and sociologists are trying to say that we know right and wrong because it's ingrained into us. And if we could just keep people away from their you know, religious nut parents, we could keep them. They wouldn't understand this Christian morality stuff. And, then, and they could make their own right and wrong decisions but it's internal into us because God put it there. And we need to understand that. And this is why God says you're not going to be without excuse when you stand before him at the throne, at the white throne. You are going to know that you are, that you were a sinner. And in case you seared your conscience, God will go back and remind you back in the days when you did remember that it was wrong. And he'll show you this. See, you you knew you were a sinner. You knew it was wrong and you did it. Now, we as Christians, with God in us, we have a hypersense of right and wrong because God is in us, and He's reminding us all the time because we're his children. But otherwise, it's ingrained into us anyway to have a conscience. God heightens our sense of right and wrong and takes it way beyond his level of right and wrong, which is absolute right and wrong, and we start getting moved up. He says that lying is not telling everything that you know is what he defined lying that is in numbers, if you remember. And yet man will say, well, just because I don't have to say everything, I won't be lying. As long as I don't say anything that's untruth, I'm okay. Lie by omission is a lie. If you don't tell the truth, it's a lie. Now, we as humans try to help not hurt people's feelings or not get somebody in trouble, and we will justify all of it and make it sound good. But you've got to understand in God's eyes and God's standards, he is truth. And he's not going to lie even by not saying the whole truth. And we see this in the scriptures all the time. He tells us the bad about people. He tells us the good about people. He tells us why people were judged. And he goes through all of the processes. This is where we have to look at. God's standard is so high above us that even when we're doing good by human standards, we're still below God's standards. And we have to understand that. God's standards, because He is the perfect standard, is always going to be higher than anything we're going to obtain to. A lot of people who lie, that's the kind of lie they do. They lead you into a belief without actually saying it, but they lead you into this idea so that you walk away totally convinced that they said something that they didn't say, and they're convinced that they didn't lie because they didn't actually say the lie. They just led you to believe the lie. When we get into truthfulness, truthfulness is a hard area to to get into because God's standard of truth is much higher than anything we would want to deal with. Well, we understand that when we deal with somebody who doesn't tell the truth, that we don't want to be around them. Or at least not believe anything they say. But the absolute truth that God speaks to us is something that we know. When God says something in the scriptures, we know that he is true and that we can count on it.
1: Yes.
0: And this is why when we read the scriptures, we can say, this is true. And knowing that it is true... Allows me to be confident that God will take care of something. When He says He's our strong fortress and He wants us to hide in Him, why do we hesitate to hide into Him? Because we know it's a truth. Because it is a truth. When Jesus said, when we're told by Paul, be in Christ in the aorist tense, which means one time and stay there, why do we have this problem believing that we are in Christ? and that the Father sees us as perfect. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit, which means that He has placed us in Christ, and then He puts a seal on it, saying the contents of this is is approved. And I know what's in here because I put it there. We, We are adopted children of God, and yet we live as if we're not His children, or that we have to prove something to Him. And we don't have to prove something to him because he's, ma- he's made us his, chi- we are his children. That would be like looking at your child and saying, well, I don't know, the- I gave birth to you or you know, I- I'm the one that helped get, get you alive, but you've got to prove to me that you deserve to be my son. That's not something we do to our kids. And yet how often do we, look at God and say somehow I've got to prove that I'm his child even though he adopted me and chose me I've got to prove that I deserve it we don't trust God's love grace and mercy and and we sit around trying to prove to God uh, and others that we deserve to be his children and we don't we don't deserve to be his children we can't prove that we deserve to be his children because we don't deserve it we just need to accept it by grace and say Thank you, God, I'm going to go forward with you. I'm going to allow you to crucify me and make me more like you and have you live out of me. And this is the important aspect. Too many times Christians get wrapped up in trying to prove that they're God's children. And we do it to each other. We do it to ourselves. Okay, and we think about this. What is your personal list of what a Christian is supposed to be like? It's going to be based on what God has taught you. Okay, and we may have our little checklist. Don't drink, don't lie, go to church, <laughs> read my Bible. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things that I just listed, but none of them are going to prove that we're his children. It's just what he tells us, to, whatever he tells us to do, and we have to live according to what he's disciplined us. But none of those prove that we're his children. None of them make it so that we deserve him more than we did before. It's him working out our sin and working out our life. And so often we get people who judge others because, well, you're just not lifting, living up to the life that God has shown me. This is, my, this is the list that God told me I had to, of things I needed to follow. And we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And then we try to put our list on somebody else and saying, hmm, you don't match up. You don't live up. Have you ever caught yourself saying this person doesn't live like a Christian? Or act like a Christian? You should hear how much I hear that at the prison. The guys will come in and say, man, I just don't know about this person. He says he's a Christian. And then I see him do this, that, and the other thing. And I'm going... Is there anything in there that he does that, that is Christian-like? Well, yeah, there's a couple of things. Then quit judging them by your standards. Pray for them. Let them learn. Let them grow. The other person's looking at you with their list and saying, wow, you don't measure up to my list. Now, we've all got our little list of what God has shown us to how to live, and we're looking at each other saying, oh, you don't, let, you don't measure up. You don't, nobody measures up, God. Yeah. And you know what that can happen? If you really get too far into that, you start getting Pharisaical. I'm better than everybody else because I follow this list. This is why we don't judge one another. We pray for one another. If we have a great enough love that we pray for somebody and we see an area that concerns us, then we can after we prayed for them, we can come up and say, hey, you know, I've really been praying for you. I've been really concerned about this area I'm seeing in your life. But as I've said before, if you're not taking the time to pray for somebody, you really have no business... Even approaching them for their what you think are errors, because number one, when you start praying for somebody, God will move in their life. But he, oftentimes, you'll also change your attitude toward them, and you won't. And you'll start seeing where God is making the changes in their life, or God will change them and say, because you're praying for them, God works on their life and gets them to change. Either way, it's a victory. You know, it
1: almost seems like a universal thing that people. Seeing someone else do something wrong, the first thought in your mind will be to to put yourself up against them. And if it was right or wrong for you, then it is right or wrong mm-hmm. for them. It seems to be like the very first thing you think about.
0: For living in the flesh, we will try to justify ourselves, and that means compare. Yeah. And this is the, what the world does. And this is the lie of Satan, do more good than bad. Well, who's judging the good and the bad? Is God judging the good and the bad, or are you judging the good or the bad? And when you put yourself up against God, nothing I do is going to be good compared to him. Because even when I do something good, oftentimes my motives are wrong. I'm doing it so that people will think I'm good. I'm doing it because, people think see me as pastor I need to be good Uh, I'm doing it because I just want to be better than most people and God says that's not the right motive he comes into us and this is where it really becomes precious when he comes in and he changes who we are and we start loving people just because God loves them not because I'm trying to get anything out of them Not because I'm trying to get them to come to church. Not that I'm even trying to get them to come to God. I'm loving them because God loves them. What happens when I love them the way that God loves them probably is that they're going to come to God and and do these other things. But that should should not be my motive for love. I'm just going to love them because God loves them. God chooses to love. I'm going to try to choose to love them and not manipulate. A lot of people will try to love people so they can manipulate them. I'm going to love you, and I'm going to be nice to you, and maybe eventually you'll give up whatever it is I don't like in your life. Parents do this often with their kids. Being kind to them, being kind to them. Well, you really, really should change this part of your life. And we need to be so careful with this. They stand or fall before God, and we like to put standards on our kids especially. And our friends that, man, you just need to get a get little, little, little more right with God. <laughs> give up this. Give up that. And we need to be able just to say, God, I'm going to love them because you love them. And I'm going to leave the conviction up to you. This is how we reach people. is just showing God's love. And his love will really touch people and unconditional love touches people. When we help people, when we give food to people, we're not telling them we're going to give you this food and you have to come to church. We're going to give you this food and you have to pay it back somehow. No, we just give them the food. With no strings attached, no nothing, we give them food. I'll usually put a track in it just so that they are being witnessed to, and talk to them just for a few minutes and let them go. Not telling them, come to church. Oftentimes I'll talk to them, see if they have a church or or what, where their relationship with God is. But we're not giving them the food with strings attached to it that they have to become a Christian, they have to come to church. It's just, here's God's love expressed to you. And we need to be very careful because I've seen many parents that will do this. They love their kids, they love their kids, especially their adult kids. But there's an expectation that their kids are going to change and need to change. For them, for what they think they need to do instead of what God wants them to do. Show them the love. Show them that you are loving them unconditionally and that they are loved. This is something that I have seen. I've seen parents, you know, when their kids get into homosexuality or drugs or alcohol, that will not associate with their kids at all. That's not the way God acts with us. He gives us plenty of opportunities to correct our life by putting the situations in us where we see his love and see that he loves us. The prodigal son didn't didn't even say words. All he did was turn away from his sin and come back to the father, and the father ran to him and didn't even let him finish all this prepared speech of how sorry he was and make me your servant and all of that. We oftentimes, when we deal with people, look at them and say, Well, I'm just not gonna believe that you're changed until I see the change. And basically what we have done to that person at that time is said, when you fail, I knew you were going to fail and I'm going to judge you for your failure. This happens a lot of times when alcoholics stop drinking. Everybody around them is waiting for them to go back to their alcohol. And then when they fall, instead of saying, you know, I know you made a mistake, come on back, let's get you back up. They go, well, I knew you were gonna fall anyway and you just managed to do it and you just drive them deeper into their into their failure. Yeah, and it happens all the time. I've talked to several alcoholics that are trying to get off and they go, I'm, I just feel like my wife or my husband is just waiting for me to fail because of the things they're saying. And you know what, they are. They have no trust and, and probably rightfully so. I mean, they've given up enough times that they have no conviction that they're going to be successful but that lack of conviction that they're going to be su- successful drives them back into the failure and it's kind of a circle they you know you're pretty sure they're going to fail and your and your attitude toward them is that they're waiting for them to fail feeds them right back into failure and we need to be their cheerleader honest cheerleader <laughs> saying I'm praying for you, I'm really hoping that this happened that you're going to be successful this time, and I'm looking forward to you being successful. Then, when they fail, it's like God still forgives you, come on, let's get back on, let's get going, let's go forward again because we all do that. most of our sins may not be as obvious as the alcoholic or the drug user, but don't all of us have something that we're struggling with and trying to get overcome in victory you no. Know, gluttony for some of us, laziness, the idea of watching TV all the time, all kinds of different things that may be in our life that we're saying, I want to get over this and we keep falling and we keep failing and maybe we have trouble ourselves believing that we'll ever be victorious because we're not turning it over to God. But we need people around us to say, be our cheerleaders saying, I know you can do this and I'm praying for you. And when you do fail or when they do fail, you say, Let's get right back. Turn to God and let's get, back, let's get right back going. I know you can do this. Not, well I knew you were going to fall in, you know, fail anyway. You've, done, you've tried so many times. And this is something we have to be very careful of. Edification. God's grace. God does not come and beat us up every time that we fail. He'll convict us and bring us right back. And I use the example of a child walking. Learning to walk. When your child is learning to walk and they take their first three steps and fall down, you don't immediately what do we do with that child? We applaud them. We tell them what a good job they're doing. What do we do in life with people? Well, you stupid idiot, how come you, how come you fell down? How come you're not running? We should be going, hey, you made three steps. You made it, you made it for a week without <laughs> falling in this sin. Great, let's, get, let's keep going forward. We need to really be thinking about this. and Think back to the child learning something. We praise them for the trying of it. And the next time, they make six steps. <laughs> and we go, good job! And then, next thing you know, we're running, and we wish we hadn't taught them how to walk <laughs> because they're running around getting into trouble. But this is the way it is when we're walking in our daily walk and, and people are trying to overcome sin usually we get critical of them when they fail instead of praising them for how successful they were in how far they went. And that encourages them to get right back up and try again. And if we're critical on them, we just drive them deeper into what it is and make it harder for the next time they want to try to give up because because they go, well, (laughs) every time I fail, they, they criticize me. And it's critical that we Work on being kind and, and look at the positive and the edify. You know, hey, you managed to go four weeks this time, You know, and you failed. I'm sorry you failed. Let's get back up and let's go for eight weeks. <laughs> let's go for the rest of your life or whatever. But get back up. You're, you did a good job. Not, well, yeah, I knew you were going to fail. You lasted a little longer than I thought, but I knew you were going to fail. That is not where we want to go with them praise, the edification of you're doing a good job, let God help you more. God can crucify this area. And we've all been there at some time in our life where somebody has criticized us for something that we've tried real hard and what happens if they criticize us? You don't really want to try again, do you? You were trying hard to get something and somebody comes along and said well I knew you were going to fail, I knew you couldn't do it. Right. makes you feel real good. makes you really want to go back out and try it again. Yeah. You know, but if we just Honestly say hey you did a really good job. You went this far. Let's see if God can help you get further this next time And we build up we edify We show the works and the love of God And this is so important for us is how do we show his love? His love will lift up His God is not the one who's going to sit there and be critical of us now if we reject him He will judge our sin and send us to hell or the the, the sin he's going to reject uh, send us to hell for is rejecting Christ but he's also going to say I gave you so many chances I gave you all that chances I gave you the encouragement I gave you my love and you didn't accept it we just need to learn to love one another Jesus said you'll they will know you're my disciples by your love one for another each of the other church members. But even for the lost, we need to love the lost. We need to love them, not love their sin, but love them. And we as Christians have this ability because God teaches us that just because a person sins does not mean they're a bad person. Even though they do bad things, it doesn't mean that they're unredeemable. We need to love the individuals in spite of whatever they're doing. Doesn't mean we're going to accept it, doesn't mean we're going to not say that it's a sin, but we're going to love them. And sometimes we love them enough to tell them that, that it is a sin, and that there is a hell that they're headed for if they don't straighten up. But we need to be able to love them. And it always has to be said with love. And we all know what it means to be to deal with somebody who doesn't say something with love. We've either done it ourselves or had it done to us. And maybe the person really cared, but they didn't do it out of love. Now, well, I saw you smoking that cigarette. You know, you are not supposed to be doing that. You're a bad example. You know, and they they just tear you apart. Instead of you know, I've been praying for you. I'm I'm hoping that I'm hoping that you can get victory over this. You said you wanted victory. I'm going to keep praying for you. Whether it's whatever it might be that they're trying to get get out of their life, and we want to be just speaking love and speaking speaking truth but it is that idea of how much do we love somebody and is it God's love and how is that going to be expressed and when we express it, his love we're going to show the works will be behind it the, the good The good works will be behind that love I love you so much I want to see you successful you failed a hundred times over the last year but each time you get a little lo- better and I'm going to have I'm going to be your cheerleader. You're going to to make it. I know you're going to make it. And be happy with whatever progress that they make. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your word and your guidance and, and where you would have us to be. We ask that you go with us as we complete the rest of this day. And we just thank you in your son's name. Amen.